0: Williams wants to fade, stoops in the end zone for a touchdown, Oklahoma. Well, I got to admit it is it is weird to look at the Big 12 softball standings and not see Oklahoma at number 1, but that's what we've got going on and there is no reason, zero reason, no reason at all to panic over this or even have the slightest bit of concern. If you do look at the Big 12 standings, you got Oklahoma State number 1 and Oklahoma number 2 and this is all done on percentage points and when you look at the fact that the Cowgirls have played three more conference games uh, than what the Sooners had. That kind of tells the story there. Oklahoma State at 11 and 1. Oklahoma fresh off a loss in their 40 game winning streak, uh, a loss at Texas. The Sooners dropped to 8 and 1 in conference play on the season. And when you want to, like Oklahoma State, they, they want to do this. You look on Twitter, you look on social media, there's some smoke there. They want to blow it. Um, and, and so you you could jump in here and you see Oklahoma State has a loss to Iowa State. They're 34 and 7 on the season. Uh, Oklahoma again the loss on Sunday to Texas, 38 and 1 on the season. Um, and, and when you look at, I, I think when you look at what's lying ahead for Oklahoma State, there, there's absolutely, in my opinion, there's absolutely a reckoning coming. I, I, Oklahoma State's a good softball program. Don't get me wrong they're They're the one, of the top three in the big 12. I think I think clearly your top three programs in the big 12 are Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State as to exactly what order they will fall in, that's yet to be determined. but at the order I think they're in, I mean, I, I got Oklahoma number one in this conference and then it's kind of a toss-up between Oklahoma State and Texas and and when I say that there's a reckoning coming for Oklahoma State, they still have. Texas this coming weekend, and then Oklahoma May 6th through the 8th on the schedule. So, I mean, look, you can talk the talk, but the, the time's going to come where you have to walk the walk, and those will be two really big series for Oklahoma State if they're able to to win those. They can brag, but until someone dethrones Oklahoma, I'm not going to buy into anything that says that Oklahoma's not the top team in the Big 12 because by, by my count, I mean, nothing changes. And, and it's, you want to know how to tell if a team has dominated a conference to the fashion that Oklahoma has? Here's how you do it. The Sooners dropped one game in a series that they had already won. If you think about it, th- this loss to Texas, it's not even equivalent to Oklahoma's loss to Oklahoma State last year in the Bedlam series. Because at least when Oklahoma lost the Bedlam series, the, the series was still up in the air. I mean, it could have gone either way. You had to play that rubber match. But Oklahoma had won the first two games against Texas convincingly. They dropped the Sunday game by two runs. And, and you think you know, there's this party in Austin. You know, we beat the Sooners. No, you didn't. The reality is, you won a game, but you lost the series. And and to see the reaction across the Big Twelve about Oklahoma dropping one game in a series that they won. Well, that says a lot. I, I went to, I went, to, uh, I was traveling in New York this uh, last weekend, East uh, the weekend before Easter, and I got to go to Yankees Red Sox. You know, I, I, Red Sox lost the first two games of that series. Uh, they won the final game, the game I went to. Wasn't a lot of celebrating from the Red Sox because they won one game in the series with the Yankees. That's a you know, that's a heated rivalry in baseball. And in, in Oklahoma, Texas is, you know, it's a heated rivalry in, in in anything. I mean, we we've talked about this. Basket weaving, you you name it, it's a heated rivalry. And so, yeah, congratulating for the Sunday win. But let, let's keep this whole thing in perspective because nothing changes. This does not remove Oklahoma. From being the top team in the Big Twelve, this is not remove Oklahoma from being the top contender for the national championship. To you know, everyone's still going to expect Oklahoma be at the to be at the World Series. Everyone's still going to um, expect Oklahoma to host a regional and a Super Regional. Everyone's still going to expect Oklahoma not only to win the Big Twelve regular season title, but to go and and win the Big Twelve tournament. I mean, nothing, literally nothing changes with this. But it is a loss. And and you know, you gotta move on. And I feel like in, in, in many ways, in many ways, Patty Gasso tried to warn that this was coming. When when you look at um, dissatisfaction, I think of the, you know, the Sunday game against Baylor, you think about that Wichita State game, where Patty Gasso just kind of said, you know, we're better. We're better than I mean, they're they're winning these games. But Patty Gasso kept nitpicking, I I see this and I see this and I see this. And maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that's what it takes to to get this team to fully buy into what Patty Gasso is saying because there is the possibility, you read your own clippings, there is the possibility you just kind of go out there with a ho-hum attitude, having already taken two games in this series and taken them convincingly, you go out and you sleepwalk through the Sunday afternoon. We'll find out Wednesday night because Oklahoma still uh, stays on the road. They're at North Texas on Wednesday night before coming home to host Iowa State over the weekend, but... I want to go back to something that I brought up in the in the last podcast, and I just want to reiterate this: how impressive it is what Oklahoma is doing this season. Sooners are thirty eight and one, eight and one in conference play, and they're dominating in every facet of this sport. And I still don't know. I brought this up, and I still don't know the answer to it. What is what's more impressive with what they're doing? Is it is it more impressive what they're doing from the plate, or is it more impressive what they're doing from the field and in the circle? When you look at what they're doing from the plate, that they have a team batting average of three seventy five, three hundred and forty seven RBIs this season, one hundred and five home runs. Those are all tops in the Big Twelve. But then you go out to the field and you see I mean, this team is is every bit as dominant as what they are offensively. They 0.68 team ERA. They've only given up a total of 32 runs on the season. Only 21 of those 32 runs uh, were earned runs. 336 strikeouts by this pitching staff that lost Giselle Juarez. That's number two. That puts them number two in the Big 12. They've given up the fewest home runs in the Big 12 at six. You tell me, what's more impressive with what this team uh, is doing. I I feel like I'm sticking to my guns when I'm leaning towards. You know, we knew this team was was going to be good offensively. When 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 you have the the home run leader, not not just in on the season, but you when you have the all time career home run leader in Jocelyn Allo, you know they're going to be good offensively. And when you look at the when you, when you look at this is just amazing. But when you look at the Big Twelve. Standings as far as statistics, the top five batters in the Big 12 are for Oklahoma. Jocelyn Alo leads the way, the 490 uh, batting average, Jada Coleman 456, Riley Boone 444, Taylor Snow 427, and Grace Lyons of 425. And so when when you look at those, all all five of those girls are returning starters. And and you knew, you, you absolutely knew. They were coming back, and you knew they were good. And if you go back to the preseason, I was saying it. A lot of people were saying, it, oh, I didn't stand on this hill all by myself. Talking about this, this team would would break offensive records that they set just last, a year ago in 2021. And that's what they seem to be on pace to be doing. But you go out into the field, and you, and you look at the ladies in the circle. Your top three pitchers from the Big 12 also with Oklahoma. Hope Trot one with just a ridiculous zero point one one ERA. Jordy Ball zero point eight five. Nicole May zero point nine one. And when you look at you got the the top three, the top three pitchers in the Big Twelve combined thirty eight and one record. Only two, excuse me, two of those pitchers were not with this team last year. Only Nicole May, eleven and zero on the season. Only Nicole May was on this team last year. Jordy Ball, true freshman, one hundred and sixty-two strikeouts this season, number two in the Big Twelve. Hope Trotwine with North Texas last season, one hundred and five strikeouts, eleven and zero record. By the way, Jordy Ball, sixteen and one. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, to me, to me, I think what they're doing from the field. And in the pitching circle, that's probably more impressive than what they're doing behind the plate. But when you combine the two, there's no reason at all, no reason at all to expect that this team won't not just compete for the Big 12 title, but win the Big 12 title again, not just compete to get to the Women's College World Series, but actually be one more time at the Women's College World Series. Yeah, they, they lost the game. They lost the game in conference play. Yeah, they did that last year. You remember that? They also lost at, was it. It was at Auburn last year. And and they ended up winning it all. So there's no reason to panic at all if you're an Oklahoma softball fan. Hey, um, Spencer Adler has some interesting things to say about the state of Oklahoma football. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know that I disagree with him. So Spencer Rattler's wrapping up his first spring in Columbia, South Carolina. And he, had to, he did an interview last week with, um, I believe it was ESPN, um, maybe Sports Illustrated, but I'm pretty confident it was ESPN. Um, anyway, he did this interview and, and he in the interview, he described Oklahoma as being a toxic situation. Now, there, there's, there's lots of ways to, to approach this. Um, and I think the first way is to understand he he described the situation, not the program, but the situation, and that situation was, I believe, he, his relationship with Lincoln Riley as it pertains to Caleb Williams. I, I think that was the that the the situation that that Spencer Rattler was talking about, and. I, I I think when you look at this at first you're as an Oklahoma fan you're like whoa 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 pump the brakes here okay and then the 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 defenses come up and the first thing you want to say is well this is a guy who's upset and he's still he's still hurt you know over you know bent about losing a starting job to a, to to Caleb Williams who was a true freshman and and all that you know all that can hold merit and I think you can approach that that line of thinking to to a certain extent. But there's two, there's two undeniable things here that you just, I don't, I don't think you can get around them. And probably there's three, but the two things that stand out is that clearly there was something different with Spencer Rattler. The Spencer Rattler that we saw in 2021 was not the same Spencer Rattler we saw in 2020. And, and, and we expected this kid to make this big step, you know, from 2020 to 2021, we thought he was going to just take you know this huge step. People were talking about well, you know Heisman Trophy front runner, NFL lock for the NFL draft. All, all these things. You remember we're talking about he, he's only a true sophomore, but I mean a redshirt sophomore. But he, this could be the kind of season that propels him out of Norman and on into the NFL. And the truth is, it was it absolutely was the kind of season that propelled him out of Norman because it wasn't the same. There was something different about Spencer Rattler. And there was a disconnect with Spencer Rattler. Now, the question is, what was the heart of that disconnect? Was it his relationship with Lincoln Riley? Was it his pursuit of the NIL and all the distractions that, that come with it? Was it, his, I mean, you got to throw this out there. Was it his his arrogance and his ego? Was what was the source of the disconnect? Because there was, there absolutely was a disconnect. You you can't look at body language. You can't look at the the way the team rallied to Caleb Williams and the in, in in ways that they they didn't for Spencer Rattler. It, it was all different, all different. So you can't deny that. You can't get around that. There was clearly something different with Spencer Rattler in twenty twenty one. But the second thing there also is that there was clearly something different with Lincoln Riley in, in 2021. That was a different Lincoln Riley than we had seen in years past. And, and there's there's no coach that that is above criticism. As much as everybody, you know, the honeymoon is still going with Brent Venables. But I promise you, this fall... Even after after Saturday, after the spring game, there's going to be criticism of Brent Venables. It, it will happen. It will 100% happen. It, it, there's, just, there's no coach that's above criticism. And so to criticize Lincoln Riley over playoff losses, to criticize Lincoln Riley over the Bedlam loss, to criticize Lincoln Riley over uh, other things down the way, that's just part of, 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 that comes with the territory, right? It comes with the territory of being a fan, it comes with the territory of being a head coach at a program as prestigious as Oklahoma it's just part of the deal but all that said it was it was a different Lincoln Riley in 2022 than the Lincoln Riley that we saw in 2021 and and so something something was up somewhere along the way things got crossways now, I believe, I honestly believe, I mean, I, I think there's evidence. I think we can point to, to comments made not by Lincoln Riley, but Lincoln Riley's people. Comments made not by USC, but by the people around that situation. I believe this this thing with USC goes back to September. And, and I think that's probably, if you're looking for the root cause of what was going on, I think that's it right there. I, I don't. I, I. I. think Caleb Williams was a product of the situation that brought that was brought about by this whole Lincoln Riley being with one foot out the door because Lincoln Riley didn't coach the same way Spencer Rattler didn't play the same way. Caleb Williams was fresh and just kind of had enough. I don't care mentality to him that to, to jump in there and be a difference maker on this team. But all that said. You know, as, as fans, we can't have it both ways. And, and what I mean by that is we can't say Lincoln Riley burned this program. We can't say things like what I just said. Lincoln Riley's been talking to USC since September. We, we can't say that Lincoln Riley was trying to coach the Bedlam game in a way to lose so that he could just pack up and get out the door to California and not have to worry about the big 12 championship game. And those are all things that Oklahoma is saying. Those are all things that are coming from the fan base. Actually, those are some things that have even come from a, a few players. And so you, you can't have that and then be mad at Spencer Rattler for saying he got, he got out of a toxic situation. Because if you believe all those things about Lincoln Riley, if you believe he coached the Bedlam game to lose, if you believe that, that he's been talking to USC since September, if you believe that he, I, again, something else I believe, I believe Lincoln Riley, the whole thing that pushed this over the edge was the move to the SEC. I think Lincoln Riley's scared to death of the SEC. I think Lincoln Riley thought, Man, I mean, I can go to the Pac-12 and I can be the big dog in the Pac-12. And then surprise, there's a new influx of coaches in the back Pac-12 as well. And he's he's struggling in recruiting battles with Oregon right now. But all that said, if you're gonna if you're gonna hold to that line, which I hold to, then you have to agree with Spencer Rattler. You have to agree that this was a toxic situation. Now here here's the exact comment from Spencer Rattler. He said a lot of, and he's talking about the decision to go on to South Carolina. He's talking about how he landed there and. And how, you know, Shane Beamer was played a role in that because of his previous relationship with Beamer at OU. And, and really just kind of starting, starting over, starting fresh in Columbia. Here's what he says. A, a lot of guys don't get another chance to start over where they really wanted, Rattler said. I was just happy to get away from a toxic situation and get somewhere new. And then listen to this. This is the stinger. He said, anywhere was going to be better, and I found the right place. So I think in this whole thing, bridges were burned. I really do. You know, Spencer Rattler was done the the minute Caleb Williams replaced him at, at the Texas game. I'm on record. I said it in print. I said it on the podcast that unless OU was in the college football playoff, Spencer Rattler would not be with this program during the bowl game. And I was right. I mean, 100% right. Spencer Rattler was done at the Texas game. He was done with Lincoln Riley. And I think the way, I really think the way he conducted himself through that whole situation probably made him done at Oklahoma in general because there was a, again, we're talking about a disconnect and and the, the team did not rally to Spencer Rattler because of the way he approached that situation. And 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 I get it. I mean if I'm Spencer Rattler I get it you, know, you got a coach who, who's just not there he's not 100% committed to the program at the time you're you're thinking you're a Heisman front runner going into the season and then you lose your starting job to the a true freshman who seems to be a phenom and 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 then the team you see the team rally to this kid this true freshman and you're just kind of left standing on the sideline by yourself I mean I, all that it all it all creates the perfect storm that would be a toxic situation to Spencer Rattler. Now, again, I, I I think the key the key component here, if you're an Oklahoma fan, the key component is that he described it as a toxic a toxic situation, meaning everything we've just discussed for the last nine and a half minutes, not a toxic program. And now you know, you can't help but wonder what it would be like had he stayed under Brent Venables. But again, I think Oklahoma fans are going to be very pleased with what we have in Dylan Gabriel running this offense. And we get a preview of that this Saturday with the spring game. Well, all right, Oklahoma's red-white game is on Saturday. This is the annual spring game that will wrap up spring practice. Baker Mayfield having his statue unveiled finally uh, in Norman. Uh, it's a long time coming, well overdue because of the COVID pandemic. Um, I thought a, kind of a fun way to preview the red-white game would be to break down, kind of prioritize offense and defense. Like, wh- where where are you most confident in if you're going to break down for example offensive positions quarterback running back offensive line you know wide receiver if you're going to break all of that down where are you most confident in and what are you least confident in where do you want to see improvement where do you you think the more important and more intriguing uh you know position battles are so forth and so I'm going to break it down that way and let you know uh, with with obviously with with the offensive, you, I think you got four positions: quarterback, wide receiver, running back, offensive line. And we'll start with quarterback because I feel like I'm, I'm I maybe I'm more confident in Oklahoma at quarterback than than your average guy or gal. Maybe not. I don't know, but um, you know, Dylan Gabriel coming on campus. I th- I think we were so enamored. With Caleb Williams and the potential that was there, we were so, um, you know, just disgruntled, if you will, uh, uh, over over the loss of Caleb Williams into the transfer portal that we overlooked just how good of a college career Dylan Gabriel has had to this point, and the true impact he can make as a transfer quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. I think I think that was just kind of w- way overlooked. But I, I'm I'm completely confident at Oklahoma at the quarterback position. Now, Dylan Gabriel has an injury like he did last year for Central Florida, and he can't play. Then, you, then you got a bunch of question marks. But but I and and I think that's where you look at the quarterback um, on, on Saturday when you look at this quarterback battle. You're not really looking at the at number one. We've, we've talked about this on the Suter Nation podcast before. The the battle is really number 2 and and I think it, it's going to come down between Micah Bowens and, and Nick Evers. I, I really think I hinted to this on the, the my last podcast I recorded. I, I think Micah Bowens is going to make a push because of his athleticism. Maybe he's the sleeper in this in this whole situation. Obviously Nick Evers is uh is is the guy, you know, he, he's the the first, you know, the first quarterback recruit, the first overall commitment under Jeff Lebby. So there, there's a lot of love there and, and it's I mean, it's all earned. I mean, it's not like anybody's giving anything to Nick Evers, but I, I want to watch that battle. The athleticism, the maturity, the experience of, of Micah Bowens versus just the raw talent of Nick Evers. That's, that's what I'm going to be watching. And I, I don't think we're going to learn a lot about Dylan Gabriel. I think the only way this goes South with Dylan Gabriel, if he goes out there and, just constantly turns the ball over it doesn't look like he's got a he's got a control of things Um, and and I I don't know that that's going to happen because I just don't think we're going to see a lot from this offense I think it's going to be a lot of learning a lot of just making sure the guys know how to line up in this offense Um, that's just my my opinion on that so I'm most most confident in on the offensive side of the ball in in the quarterback position. I think secondly, I'm most confident in the wide receiver position. Now this is, this is a group that, that, you know, you lost Mario Williams, you lost Michael Woods, you you lost Jaden Hazelwood, but there's so much depth and so much talent at this receiver position. I mean, you, you you got guys, you know, obviously Marvin Mims. I I think he's going to be a star. And I always say, whenever you, you start uh, with Oklahoma's receivers, you start right there. But Jaleel Farouk showed, you know, he flashed his talent in the Alamo Bowl. I, I think Drake Stoops is so underrated uh, for how good he really is. Theo Weiss, uh, Cody Cody Jackson. Uh, I mean, th- this is a, a deep, deep unit. And so I, I don't know that there's you really got to worry about it. I, I would love to see Jaden Hazelwood in Jeff Levy's offense. I, I think Mario Williams would star in Jeff Levy's offense. But... Just because they're not here doesn't mean that this offense can't thrive and it can't succeed because they're they're deep and they're talented still with those three guys gone um, and so I, I don't I don't know that uh, I got any concerns there and same thing with the running back I, I it's it's interesting because I do want to see I want to see Gavin Solcek I want to see Javante Barnes I want to see how they look. At the college level, because these guys were stars at the prep level. I mean, men amongst boys at the prep level. But now, you go to college, everybody on your team was a star at the prep level. What do they look like with this type of game speed? How can they read, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you do like a zone read, um, how do you read that defensive end? Uh, You know, the quarterback has to read the defensive end, but so so does the running back. So how do they adjust to that? How do they adjust to blocking schemes? Just what do they look like? I don't know, honestly, I don't know how much of a role that these guys are going to have this fall. I'm not saying they won't see the field. I'm not saying they won't have an impact. What I'm saying is I don't know. Because I think you're going into the – I think you went into the spring and I think you're going to exit the spring – with Eric Gray and Marcus Major, clearly you're number one and you're number two at the running back position. And I mean, do you need more than that? I mean, obviously you you got to have a third guy because you need depth, right? But you think back to some of the great offenses that Oklahoma has had, and it's a two running back system. And and you know you you could you could go way back um, to Keywan Jones and Adrian Peterson. If you wanted to, you could go way back. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know that you have to because there's even more recent, you know, Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan. Just the, the point I'm making is I think two is what you need, and then you need to develop. And so, how much can Javante Barnes, how much can Gavin Solchuk develop this year and be really ready to go next year? Because there's the potential. I would think there's the potential that this is it, this is the last rodeo. For Eric Gray and, and Marcus Major, so the area that I'm I'm really, I, I guess the, the area that I have the most question marks. I'm not I don't really, I don't really know that concern is the right adjective here, but the the question marks the the, the is that on the offensive line because it's no secret Marquise Hayes is gone. Tyrese Robinson, gone. Those guys are hoping to hear their name called to here in a week or so in the NFL draft. And so those guys are gone. You've got three solid guys that I believe are already locked in at starting positions. I think left tackle is going to belong to Anton Harrison. I think Andrew Rame has the center position. Uh, right guard, you're going to see Chris Murray. But but then you got you've got three guys that you just kind of wonder, how do they fit? Like Wanya Morris, how does he fit in this offense? Savion Bird, how does he fit in this offense? You got the Cal transfer, the the M- Metuir, M- I, I, You know how I am with names, but, uh, but uh, McKay Mtwire, uh is what we're going to call him until I hear Toby say it uh, on Saturday and, and correct me on it. But um, the point I'm saying is is that you got if you got three guys, if you got Anton Harrison Andrew Rame, Chris Murray, if you got those three guys locked into starting positions. You you only have two more positions. And you've got at least three guys. And I, I honestly think you can go deeper than that. But I think there's three guys there that are really going to compete for two positions. And and I don't know. I mean, I there's so much potential there, right? How, how much do we hear about Wanya Morris's potential? How much have we talked about Savion Bird? These guys have been on campus for a long time but it's I mean it's it's time to thrive or or it's time to let someone else have the spot. And and so and when you when you look at what's I mean Saturday's a glorified scrimmage is it not? The idea that this is going to be a competitive game, well it's competitive just in the spirit of friendship, you know, that the whole family team orientation type thing, but there, at the end of the day it's a glorified scrimmage. What I'm looking at from the offensive line, when when you look at these guys, you want to see them play clean. And what I mean by that is you don't want to see them jump off sides. You don't want to see them hold. You don't want to see them, you know, blow a, a, an assignment on a zone blocking scheme. You want to see them play clean. You want to see them have a little bit of dominance. And you want to see them get to that second level of the defense. And I think any combination of five guys who can do that regularly. And with consistency, I think that's what Bill Bedenboe is looking for. Don't don't forget, this is a a unit that last year gave up 33 quarterback sacks. And that's the most Oklahoma's offensive line has allowed since, I'm pretty sure it's a 2015 season. So it's the most sacks in, in six years is what this offensive line gave up last season. So there's talent there, but there's certainly, certainly more room for improvement. All right. Well, if you flip sides of the ball, you know you got three units there: defensive line, defensive backs, linebackers. Um, I, I think again, if we're ranking them in a level of confidence, one, two, and three, I think you have. To me, you got to start out with linebackers as your most confident group. Uh, you know, you're led by Deshaun White, David Aguayo, Danny Stutzman, Shane Wadier. I I think I think those top three are probably your starters. Um, I think you're probably, you know, strong side linebacker, David Guaybu, weak side linebacker, Danny Stutzman, middle linebacker, Deshaun White. I I really feel like that's probably the way it's heading for. Um, and, And they're all guys that are seasoned. They're all guys that are experienced. And, man, again, Danny Stutzman is just one of those guys that you can't, you can't wait to see the fruition of, of his potential, if that makes sense, what I'm saying, it's kind of like you know Ethan Downs on on the defensive line, just a guy who was a flash last year as a true freshman, and and but there's just a, a reckless abandon that Danny Studson plays with that just lets you know that this this is a kid who has the potential, shows the physical traits and has that bulldog mentality to be one other guy in a long list of of all American quality NFL caliber linebackers that this university has produced. And I, I think there's nothing from Stutzman that would make you think that it's not there. And, but I think those are your three starters, Deshaun White, David Aguebu, Danny Stutzman. I think they're set at that. I think they, what they're going to do through the spring and through the summer is they're going to build depth and experience around those guys. You saw Danny Stutzman deal with an injury as a true freshman last year. I mean, the, the old, the old saying, you know, you're always just um, one snap away, right, from from being a starter. Uh, so you're going to see, I think, a lot of um, a lot of developmental type stuff on Saturday with these guys that are that are not going to be starters. And and that's a good way to find out who your starters are because typically the guys that you've got penciled in as a starter, they play the fewest minutes in these type of these type of environments. And and so it wouldn't even surprise me to see a guy like. David Guebu, not, not play hardly at all uh, just because you know what you've got in him. Uh, but then again, it is a new system and a new linebacker coach, a new defensive coordinator, all that stuff where guys got to go out and prove themselves and show that that they're understanding where they're supposed to be in various alignments. But, but again, at the end of the day, this whole spring and this game on Saturday, it's all about development. And so I think you see probably some other guys come up behind – uh, these three and and again I am I'm, I'm completely confident at this position. I think the second position that I that I'm really confident at is is on the defensive line. And similar to the wide receiver position, you lost a lot. I, Isaiah Thomas, Perrin Winfrey, Nick Benito. These guys are gone. Brian Asamoah, depending on where you qualify him as a as a as a position player, is he a defensive lineman, is he a linebacker, he's that hybrid um, but still there's so much talent here. You got, I think Jalen Redmond. Th- this is the year. I mean, again, a guy that's, that's what's it, what has he done? He he's, he's dealt with injury. He's dealt with illness. He's set out for COVID, but he, the, the guy's just raw. I mean, every time he takes the field, you think this guy is a, is a guy who possesses that raw talent that's being harnessed, but hasn't yet been shaped or molded. And is, is this the year it has to be. I mean, the truth is, it, it has to be for Jalen Redmond, and th- and then you think of the guys that transferred in. You know, the Jeffrey Johnson from Tulane. Um, I'm gonna mess this up again, but Jonah Laulu from Hawaii. Th- those guys are are gonna be have a say. You know, I think they probably 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 get a lot of time on Saturday because they're trying to figure out where do they fit in this rotation because you have guys like Jordan Kelly, guys like Josh Ellison, Marcus Stripling, Reggie, Reggie Grimes, you know, uh, the, these are guys that, that are all finding their way. And I think the one guy that's settled, the the one guy that, that, you know, has a spot is Isaiah Coe. Now, how are they going to put a, a Jordan Kelly with Isaiah Coe? How are they going to put a Jalen Redman with Isaiah Coe? Where does Marcus Stripling, you know, where does Reggie Grimes, where do they all fit in? And that's where you start putting the pieces together, but the pieces are definitely there. And, and I think probably not on the same par as the linebacker core, but these guys are there. They, they I think the coaches have a, a grasp of, of who they want to be where, who's going to be a depth guy, who's going to be a starter guy, who's going to be your biggest impact player. I think all of that is there, just lined out for for these coaches, and and we'll see some of it come together on Saturday. But again, uh, I say it again: it's glorified scrimmage, so there's not there's not a lot that you're going to see that you're going to walk away with going. Oh yeah, this is absolutely solid uh, on this defensive line. This is what we're going to see first game of of the first weekend in September. I I think the the biggest question mark, the, the least confidence that you would have would be in this defensive secondary because you've had inconsistency at the cornerback spots. You you lost Pat Fields. You lost and Turner-Yell. This is a a secondary that was seventh uh, in the Big 12 in in defensive pass efficiency. The quarterbacks completed 65.8, almost 66% of their passes against against this defense. And and you've got some of the usual suspects, right? DJ Graham, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis – they're all there they're I mean same guys and I've said this about other teams and and it's it's true about your own team that if you're struggling and you're returning the same guys that were struggling that's not necessarily a good thing now maybe philosophy maybe execution maybe alignments with the, the new coaching staff it always can work wonders and help guys transform and change but so can an influx of new talent and and that's what they got and the you know you got you have you got three transfers on the defensive side of the ball that aren't I don't think they're here just for depth. And if they end up being just guys that add depth, that's okay. But I, I think the you I mean it's not there's no it's not a coincidence two of your three transfers in the offseason were at the cornerback position. CJ Colden and, and Connie Walker. Those guys came in to compete. Those guys came in to push those guys came in to send a message for this coaching staff that hey we've broken down the film. We've seen what you guys are capable of, but we've also seen what you guys have done. And so we're going to bring some other guys in here, and they're either going to push you to be better or they're going to replace you. And, I mean, raise your hand if you know how this is going to shape up. Because I think what's maybe on this defensive secondary, what's in our mind right now and what could be in our mind at the end of this scrimmage on Saturday are two different things. And then, I mean, I think honestly, the the here's the truth about this defensive secondary. I think Key Lawrence is probably the only guy at this point. I think Key Lawrence is probably the only guy who's got a starting position lined up at safety. What do you do with Billy Bowman? What do you do with with Justin Broyles? I, I don't. They're not going to do the nickel back in, in in the in the capacity of what we've seen the last few seasons under Alex Grinch. So. I mean what is that going to look like truthfully just the positions of the secondary how are they going to play that out so there's a lot there there's a lot of question marks there and I think the defensive secondary is the one position on this defense where there are more questions than there are answers just I mean that's just the truth that's 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 the that's where it is and there's talent there I mean, Billy Bowman is a young talent. He's got to find a spot, though. We saw DJ Graham. I mean, everyone's going to forever, he's going to be identified with that interception against Nebraska last year. But there were other plays from DJ Graham that that weren't great. Jaden Davis seems to have regressed from his freshman season. Woody Washington just doesn't seem back to form yet. So this is the position. I mean, if you're if you're looking for a, a position on the defense that Saturday, how it goes on Saturday will probably have an impact on the fall. Maybe of all of the positions, offense and defense, the defensive secondary. Probably the greatest position battle of all, because I just don't know. I don't. I, I mean, raise your hand if you know. I, I I just I don't think anybody knows at this point. And so, therefore, I think a lot of eyes should probably be on on the defensive secondary. Special teams, I'm not really going to throw that out here right now because special teams will be – that will be the very last thing, the very last thing that they wrap up in August. Who's going to return punts? Who's going to return kickoffs? Yeah, they have an idea, and we'll we'll see some guys out there on Saturday in a mock-type situation. They're not – I don't believe they're really going to return a kickoff. I don't believe they're really going to return a punt. But when that goes live, that'll be that'll be one of the very last things they do in fall camp. So we'll just have to put that put a pin in that, so to speak, uh, until August. All right, that's it for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. See, I mean, Thunder season is over with, so we're basically spring sports and, and, and football heading into the summer. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. We're always aware on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Look forward to seeing you there. Always drop a line, drop a note. We'd love to have you participate in the podcast. And I hope you had a great Easter. I hope you have a fantastic week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.